Here we go. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here. This is Eurofolk Radio. Today is November 27, 2021, with my uh, partner, Dan from Georgia, and we're going to be discussing Numbers chapter 20, oh, sorry, Numbers chapter 6 and beyond today. And number 6 is about the Nazarite vows. And so instead of just reading from it, we give this subject some introduction. So Dan is going to be reading from an article, What is a Nazarite? Or uh, all about the Bible. Yeah, what is a Nazarite? And so that will be a good intro for today's topic. So over to you, Dan. Okay, here we go. Bible clearly explains Regarding what is a Nazarite? Nazarite is a Hebrew word that comes from Nazir, which means separated or consecrated person. Nazarites were ascetics who had taken a vow or whose parents had taken a vow on their behalf. Nazarites were the special persons who were chosen to give their lives for God. In the Bible, Numbers chapter 6, clearly tell us about Nazarites' life, what to do or do not do. Firstly, the Bible says Nazarites can be a man as well as a woman also. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 2, it says to tell the Israelites this. If there are people, men or women, who want to make a vow, dedicating themselves completely to Yahweh for a time, they will be called Nazarites. And in Numbers chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, here God gave some rules for them which they must follow. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall not drink vinegar or wine, vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink or liquor of grapes. He shall not eat ripe grapes or dried grapes. He shall eat nothing made of wine from the kernels to the husk. He shall have no razor come upon his head during Nazarite ship. He shall be holy. Be defiled for the dead, even for father, mother, sister, or brother. The free growth of hair on the heads of Nazarites represented the dedication of a person with his whole strength and power to the service of God. And in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 10 through 15, the high priest was chosen from among his brothers. The anointing oil was poured on his head. In this way, he was chosen for a special job of being a high priest. He was chosen to wear special clothes. So he must not do things to show his sadness in public. He must not let his hair grow wild. He must not tear his clothes. He must not make himself unclean by touching a dead body. He must not go near a dead body, even if it is his own father or mother. The high priest must not leave God's holy place because he might become unclean and then make God's holy place unclean. The anointing oil was poured on the high priest's head. This separated him from the rest of the people. I am the Lord. The high priest must marry a woman who is a virgin. He must not marry a woman who had sexual relations with any man. He must not marry a prostitute, a divorced woman, or a widow. The high priest must marry a virgin from his own people. In this way, people will show respect for his children. I, Yahweh, have separated the high priest for his special work. Okay, so the last half of this paragraph is dedicated to the high priest, which uh, I don't know why he includes this, because it has nothing to do with a Nazarite. But uh, from here, we see that a Nazarite can be a man or a woman. 
Okay, so this would be like uh, the very first recorded monastic life. Okay, where you separate yourself and you're you're not to touch anything that is made from grapes, <laughs> right? <laughs> even and not just the wine, but even grape juice or eating grapes, uh, etc. So, or even raisins. Okay, dried grapes. So you shall eat nothing made from grapes. Okay, very interesting. And he is not to cut his hair during Nazareth. Apparently so. Uh, But apparently they they can also end the uh, you know the Nazarite ship whenever they choose. Okay, and that's what Samson did when uh, unintentionally when Delilah cut his hair. Well, he was drunk. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so he broke one vow, namely getting drunk, and then uh, she uh, d- broke another vow for him by cutting his hair off. All right, very interesting. That, that's a tremendous story. A movie was made about that, even. <laughs> All right, mm-hmm. back to you. Laws for the Nazarite. After the time of dedication is ended, Nazarites must go to the entrance of the meeting tent. And give their offering to Yahweh. Their offering must be a one-year-old lamb that has nothing wrong with it for a burnt offering, a one-year-old female lamb that has nothing wrong with it for a sin offering, one ram that has nothing wrong with it for a fellowship offering, a a basket of bread made without yeast bread, made with fine flour mixed with oil and wafers with oil spread on top, and the grain offerings and drink offerings that are part of these gifts. Hmm. That's a lot of ritual to go through to become a Nazarite. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you Who were you... the Nazarites in yeah. the Bible? In the Bible, we can see some Nazarites in the Old Testament, like Samson and Samuel, and in the New Testament, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. We have Samson, who is found in Judges chapter 13, verse 7. But he aforesaid said to me, you are pregnant and will have a son. Don't drink any wine or any kind of other strong drink. Don't eat any food that's unclean because he will be dedicated to God in a special way. Then we have Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. Here Hannah takes a vow for a baby, and she made a special promise to God and aforesaid, Lord, all-powerful, you can see how sad I am. Remember not to forget me. If you will give me a son, I will give him unto you. He will be yours, his whole life and as an Nazarite he will not drink any wine or strong drink and no one will ever will ever cut his hair well, so you have to and, wonder how long did his hair grow <laughs> I know that's what I'm, I'm wondering here did they never yeah. get to cut their hair yeah Lady Godiva length right <laughs> yeah <laughs> he must have had to well, what's that to tie it in knots above his head right yeah. to keep all that hair well, maybe he went we bald have, early. <laughs> right. Okay. Two more. We have John the Baptist in Luke chapter 7, verse 33. John the baptizer came and did not eat the usual food or drink wine. And then we have Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. He went to a town called Nazareth and lived there. Okay. Now, that's that's problematic there because – yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's yeah, a lot sure. of people who lived in Nazareth. Right, yeah. right, and they were all not all Nazarite, but they were all Nazarenes. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
those two words can't be conflated. You know, a Nazarene is someone who lives in Nazareth or comes from Nazareth. A Nazarite is one who takes these special vows. That's the big difference. And uh, I'm kind of disturbed. I've seen this more and more uh, in the very first uh, sentence of the third paragraph. Nazarites were the special persons who were chosen to give their lives for God. The author uses an apostrophe. It's not, it's not a possessive word. Okay. It's, a, it's simply a plural. You plural, should never, yeah. I see this more and more, it's becoming more and more common. People are not using an apostrophe properly. An apostrophe is only used for possessive. Possessive case. It's never used for a straight noun. Okay. So I don't know why this is uh, happening, but uh, I see it more and more. Even in a prisoner mail that I get, they're using apostrophes before the S when it's totally unnecessary. Uh, it may cause confusion in certain instances, but obviously uh, this is something, uh, it's a bad habit that's coming out, probably from the lack of schooling, <laughs> mm-hmm. proper schooling from uh, the, uh, you know, gov- government schools, all right? So, folks, uh, the apostrophe is for a possessive case. It's not to you be used for plural, period. Okay, back to you. Let's get into, uh, right. yeah, Numbers chapter Numbers 6. Numbers chapter 6. The Nazarite vow. <clears throat> and Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto Yahweh, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall be no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in which he separated himself unto Yahweh. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of his, of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separate himself unto Yahweh, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die. Because the consecration of God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto Yahweh. And if any man die very suddenly by him, and he has defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. And on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtles or two pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make an atonement for him for that he sinned by the dead and shall hallow his head that same day. And he shall consecrate unto Yahweh the days of his separation and shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost because his separation was defiled. Hmm. And this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are, are fulfilled, he shall be brought unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall offer his offering unto Yahweh, 
one he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering and one you lamb of the first year without blemish for a sin offering and one ram without blemish for peace offerings and a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mingled with oil and wafers, wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil and their meat offering and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before Yahweh and he shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings unto Yahweh with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall offer also his meat offering and his drink offering. Okay, so uh, we see that the separation unto Yahweh is not necessarily separation from society. Uh, but apparently, because John the Baptist was uh, baptizing people, all right? So, uh, and these other two, Samuel and Samson, were intermingling with society. It's just that everybody saw, oh, this guy got really long hair. He must be a Nazarite, <laughs> okay? So, but nevertheless, uh, this special dedication, this special separation is not separation from society at large, from other Israelites, okay? And then uh, it occurred to me, well, if the... Uh, if you, your hair grows so long that it starts becoming a burden, uh, you can just end your Nazarite ship, you know, cut the hair off, and then uh, start all over again, right? If you really want to do that. Uh, I can see mm-hmm. the long hair becoming a real burden. It's, uh, I have a hard enough time cu- cutting my two-inch locks, <laughs> let, let, let alone, you know, hair down to my butt. Right, uh, that that's a lot of. Pri- well, of course, if you're a, a monastic and you're living primarily in some kind of monastery where you're not you know, doing a whole lot with your hair, <laughs> it's not affecting your lifestyle very much. Then, then I suppose you can get away with it. But uh, you know, let's say you're a carpenter. You know, you'd have to put the hair up in a bun and wrap it up in a turban, you know, to keep it out of your way. All right, back to you. Mm-hmm. I think it was who was it? One of David's sons was it Absalom that had hair that was that weighed like ten pounds or something. Mm. He had so much hair. Okay, he mu- he must have been that. a Nazarite. It was, but it's never stated, I guess, in scripture. That no, it was. I don't think it was ever stated, <clears throat> but maybe he was anyway. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of hair. Okay. Man, if you ever wanted to lose weight, all he had to do was cut his hair. All right. Yeah. All right. Verse 18. And the Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall take the hair of the head of his separation and put it in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. Ooh, that's a stinky offering. Have you ever smelled burning hair? It's, It's one of the worst smells ever. Anyway, yeah. And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram and one unleavened cake out of his basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after the hair of his separation is shaven. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before Yahweh. This is holy for the priest with the wave breast and heave shoulder. And after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite who has vowed and of his offering unto Yahweh for his separation. Beside that, that his hand shall get according to the vow which he vowed. 
So he must do after the law of his separation. Okay, so it's an intense ritual, getting into the Nazarite, uh, you know, um, monastic, if that's what it is, monastery. I don't know if these uh, Nazarites lived amongst themselves in some kind of monastery, like the Essenes, or uh, whether they just roamed around and did their daily business as Nazarites. It's not clear here, but either could be the case, I'm sure. And then when he decides, or he or she decides to no longer be a Nazarite, then they have this public ritual <laughs> of shaving the head and burning the hair. Wow. Okay. Do I do I want to go through all that? Well, I'll think about it. <laughs> I, I think I'll pass. <laughs> Maybe if I reach 95, <laughs> I'll give it a try. <laughs> That's 20 years from now, folks. I, I hope to still be around, or the kingdom will be here. I sure hope the kingdom will be here before then. All right? Okay. I don't Back. have any hair, so it would be oh, I don't have to okay. worry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. So, first, something uh, for everybody to think about, whether or not to become a Nazarite. <laughs> All right. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise you shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, Yahweh bless thee and keep thee. Yahweh make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. And that concludes chapter 6. <clears throat> Chapter 7, <clears throat> and it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the houses, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes and were over them that were numbered, offered and they brought their offering before Yahweh, six covered wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for two of the princes, and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them, that they may do, they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt give them unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari, according unto their service, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none, because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders. <clears throat> And the princes offered for dedicating of the altar in the day that it was anointed. Even the princes offered their offering before the altar. And Yahweh said unto Moses, They shall offer their offering, each prince on his day, for the dedicating of the altar. Okay, so and we see uh, that the so-called princes and even the kings of Israel, they could offer uh, sacrifices uh, on their own behalf. You know, with their personal altar or you know, with a, um, what do you call it, uh, you know, even a public uh, altar, I believe. But they cannot perform the function of the Levitical priesthood. That is forbidden for them to do. And uh, there's uh, at least two kings of Israel who attempted to do that. 
and uh, one of them his hand shriveled up <laughs> mm-hmm. right so uh, here we have a complete separation of the priesthood from the kingship okay which is probably where our constitution gets uh, the, the notion of a separation of powers okay so that's uh, so the separation of powers is biblical folks but in the constitution it says the government has no authority to tell you how to practice your religion. It, it, it does not. It does not give the authority to the government to tell you to, to practice or not, which is uh, what they're falsely doing today. Okay, and this is just another attempt to curtail Christianity. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Verse twelve. <clears throat> and he that offered his offering the first day was Nashon, the son of Amminadab, of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver charger. The weight thereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them were full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One spoon of 10 shekels of gold full of incense. One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amminadab. On the second day, Nathanael, the son of Zuar, prince of Issachar, did offer. He offered for his offering one silver charger, the weight whereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one spoon of gold of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nethanel, the son of Zuar. On the third day, Eliab, the son of Helon, prince of the children of Zebulun, did offer. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Elab, the son of Helon. On the fourth day, Elizer, the son of Shadur, prince of the children of Reuben, did offer. His offering was one silver charger of the weight of 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Eleazar, the son of Shadur. On the fifth day, Shelomiel, Shalumiel, the son of Zurishaddai, prince of the children of Simeon, did offer. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was 130 shekels, 
one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Shelumiel, the son of Zerushaddai. On the sixth day, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, prince of the children of Gad, offered. His offering was one silver charger of the weight of 130 shekels, a silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Eliasaph, the son of Duel. On the seventh day, Elishama, the son of Emehud, prince of the children of Ephraim, offered. <clears throat> His offering was one silver charger. The weight whereof was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense. One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Elishama, the son of Amahud. On the eighth day offered Gamaliel, the son of Pedahurzer, prince of the children of Manasseh. His offering was one silver charger of the weight of 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Pedazer. On the ninth day, Abadan, the son of Gideoni, prince of the children of Benjamin, offered. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense. One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Abadan, the son of Gideoni. On the tenth day, Ahazer, the son of Amishadai, prince of the children of Dan, offered. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels. After the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for their sin offering, 
and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Ahazer, the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, Pagiel, the son of Okran, prince of the children of Asher, offered. His offering was one silver charger. The weight whereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels. After the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense. One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Okran. On the twelfth day, Ahira, the son of Enan, prince of the children of Naphtali, offered. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of Enan. This was the dedication of the altar in the day when it was anointed by the princes of Israel. Twelve chargers of silver, twelve silver bowls, twelve spoons of gold, each charger of silver weighing 130 shekels, each bowl 70. All the silver vessels weighed two thousand and four hundred shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. The golden spoons were twelve full of incense, weighing ten shekels apiece after the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the spoons was a hundred and twenty shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offering were twelve bullocks, the rams twelve, the lambs of the first year twelve, with their meat offering, and the kids of the goats for sin offering twelve. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of the peace offerings were twenty and four bullocks, the rams sixty, the he goats sixty, the lambs of the first year sixty. This was the dedication of the altar after that it was anointed. And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubims. And he spake unto him. And that concludes chapter seven. Okay, so I'm trying to figure uh, a shekel. Now, a shekel is a weight. It's not a value. Okay, it's pretty obvious from these 89 verses there <laughs> in chapter eight of Numbers that it's a weight. It's not a value. And the same <laughs> is true of the U.S. dollar. That's right. It's a weight. 371.25 grains of, of silver. Is That's right. It's not a value, it's a weight, and people lose sight of that. It's supposed to, we're supposed to be dealing everything in terms of a weight of silver, not mm-hmm. a, a fake value of a, a fiat money piece of paper, right? So I'm looking here at a table of conversion. One shekel is equal to 0.025 pounds, Point zero two five pounds, so two and a half. I don't know how that converts to ounces, but uh, it's uh, uh, point zero two five pounds is one shekel. So uh, that'll give you an idea 
of how heavy some of these uh, objects were. Okay, so <laughs> Swamp Fox says it's about 10 drams. Oh, that tells us a lot. <laughs> What's a dram? <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So anyway, 0. 0.025 pounds. The, I wish they would have broken it down a little. So uh, 16 ounces equals a pound, right? So uh, 0. 0.025, a couple of ounces. It's so, so one shekel is like maybe a couple of ounces. Okay, I'll see if I can find a, a better uh, conversion table. That was not very instructive. But, yeah, it's a weight, not a value. And keep that in mind, folks. Uh, and, uh, of course, gold and silver were the, um, you know, coinage of the Israelites that uh, that they use. And that's what we sh- should still be doing today. Everything should be convertible to gold and silver. I mean, if somebody issues paper money, it has to be uh, exchangeable with real gold and silver. If it's not, then it's fiat money. It's, it's essentially worthless. If it's not mm-hmm. worthless yet, it will be soon, <laughs> as we're finding that's, out with the trillions of dollars. Go ahead. That's why we have um, inflation. Is that's right. Because money's worthless. Your money, your these uh, the candy bar doesn't become more valuable each year it's because your money becomes worth less, and it takes more to buy it. No, people want sugar more. <laughs> That's why it becomes more valuable, right? Or they want more gasoline than ever, right? Or no, it's demand. Isn't yeah. that what they tell us? High demand causes inflation. Really? Mm-hmm. No. And, well, and, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Another another one is the uh, quote greedy business owners. That's another one they like. All right. Yeah. Out, right? right. Yeah. The owners of the Federal Reserve Bank. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, I misspoke. That was uh, Chapter 7, not Chapter 8. We're just going into Chapter 8 now. So, folks, uh, so all 12 tribes had to basically provide half a ton (laughs) of of, uh, goods in terms of silver and gold and and other goods uh, for the dedication of the the temple and, uh, you know, to make the the priesthood – you know, feel comfortable, right? <laughs> I would be comfortable surrounded all by, by this old gold and silver and, and fine flour and oil and all that kind of stuff. But, of course, they were the uh, people who were to take care of the temple and perform all the sacrifices. So it didn't really belong to them. It was available for their use. They're renting it from Yahweh, okay, and from the children of Israel. Okay, uh, back to you, uh, Chapter 8. Chapter 8, Numbers. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, and say unto him, When thou lightest the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light over against the candlestick. And Aaron did so. He lighted the lamps thereof over against the candlestick, as Yahweh commanded. And this work of the candlestick was a beaten gold. Unto the shaft thereof, unto the flowers thereof, was beaten work, according to the pat unto the pattern which Yahweh had showed Moses. So he made the candlestick. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. And thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purifying upon them and let them shave all their flesh and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bullock with his meat offering, even fine flour mingled with oil, And another young bullock shalt thou take for a sin offering. And thou shalt bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together. 
And thou shalt bring the Levites before Yahweh. And the children of Israel shall put their hands upon the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before Yahweh for an offering of the children of Israel, that they may execute the service of Yahweh. And the Levites shall lay their hands upon their heads of the bullocks. And thou shalt offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering unto Yahweh to make an atonement for the Levites. And thou shalt set the Levites before Aaron and before his sons and offer them for an offering unto Yahweh. Hey, wait a minute. The Levites aren't supposed to sin. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. But they do, obviously. So they had to make an atonement for the Levites. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of dead animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were all eaten up, except for the ones that were burnt. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, by the way, yeah. I, I looked up a, a conversion from shekels to ounces. And it says here that one shekel is 0.4 ounces and 50 shekels is 20 ounces. So there's a five to two ratio between shekels and ounces. So if you ever need to do a conversion, folks, <laughs> it's five five <laughs> shekels to two ounces. There you go. Back to you. I think when the Coinage Act of 1792 was enacted, there was the ratio of silver to gold was 16 to one. Okay. That's what it was. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, in it was then, yeah. Probably hasn't deviated much over time, but the value of those two uh, uh, metals always changes back and forth depending on how much is in circulation, how much is mined, et cetera, et cetera. So it, that fluctuates. So, but, uh, so they were correct, mm-hmm. though, in making the dollar defined by one, uh, one uh, metal, not both. Although you're right, they're the conversion... From a, in fact, the Rothschilds mani- manipulated the uh, conversion rate from, from one country to another, right? So if you get uh, t- $10 for an ounce of silver here in America and you can get $20 for an ounce of silver in India, well, then you ship the silver to India and get t- t- 20, uh, you know, $20 in their currency. And you keep doing that and double your money. That's mm-hmm. that's to the call the exchange rate that the Rothschilds do this every single day uh, to uh, you know make uh, make the various currencies fluctuate all the time. Back to you. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a scam, folks. It's a total scam. It really right. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay, verse fourteen. Thus shalt thou separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. And after that shall the Levites go in to do service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt cleanse them and offer them for an offering. For they are wholly given unto me from among the children of Israel. Instead of such has opened every womb, even instead of the firstborn of all the children of Israel, have I taken them unto me. For all the firstborn of the, of the children of Israel are mine, <clears throat> both man and beast. On the day that I smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. And I have taken the Levites for all the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the children of Israel to do the service of the children of Israel in the tabernacle of the congregation and to make an atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come nigh unto the sanctuary. Yeah, this all reminds me of uh, Moses' uh, wife. I forget her name. 
and she was not a black woman. She was uh, a child of Midian, who was the daughter of Abraham and Keturah. Okay, so she was a pure Adamite white woman, and uh, for some reason Moses did not want to circumcise his son, and so she did it in his place. And after cutting off the foreskin, she, I don't know, I think she threw it on the ground and said, Yahweh is a bloody God. And she was right. <laughs> you know, some other God would have struck her dead for saying such thing, but it was true. Okay. Mm-hmm. Blood. I mean, everything. I mean, the blood sacrifices of all these creatures are enormous. I mean, there's rivers of blood. Uh, you know, uh, d- all designed to take our sin away, okay? But uh, no longer. I'm glad that all this uh, all this blood ritual business is over with. Oh yeah, yeah. Gosh. Okay. I would hate to have to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And uh, can you imagine? Well, you're talking about billions of Israelites now, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. So j- just for uh, what? Uh, just cleaning that mess up would require mm-hmm. uh, uh, rivers. Rivers of water, all right? Literally. Literally, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right, back to you. All right, verse 20. And Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according unto all that Yahweh commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So did the children of Israel unto them. And the Levites were purified, and they washed their clothes, and Aaron offered them as an offering before Yahweh. And Aaron made an atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that went the Levites in to do their service in the tabernacle of the congregation before Aaron and before his sons. As Yahweh had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so did they unto them. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, This is that that belongeth unto the Levites from twenty and five years old and upward. They shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And from the age of 50 years, they shall cease waiting upon the service thereof and shall serve no more, but shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of the congregation to keep the charge and shall do no service. Thus shalt thou do unto the Levites touching their charge. End of chapter 8. Okay, so your career is over, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay, I don't have to slaughter animals anymore. You know, it's just like a, a baseball pitcher re- retiring from the game, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, I miss it. I miss it. No, I don't want you to do that anymore. Let a younger guy do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, now Passover. Chapter 9. Yeah. And Yahweh spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season. In the fourteenth day of this month, at even, he shall keep it in his appointed season, according to all the rites of it, and according to all the ceremonies thereof shall ye keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at even in the wilderness of Sinai. According to all that Yahweh commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel. And there were certain men who were defiled by the dead body of a man, that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day. And those men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back that we may not offer 
an offering of Yahweh in his appointed season among the children of Israel. And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what Yahweh will command concerning you. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you, of your, or of your posterity, shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, or be in a journey afar off, yet he shall keep the Passover unto Yahweh. The fourteenth day of the second month at even, they shall keep it, and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Okay, so you have an opportunity to make up for your lack of attendance on the uh, or, uh, original Passover. Okay, now I wonder if this applies to the other feast days as well. Okay, uh, that would be interesting. I don't know if the Bible gets into that, but very interesting. Second Passover. Okay, chapter uh, verse 12. They shall leave none of it unto the morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. But the man that is clean and is not in a journey and forbeareth to keep the Passover, even the same soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he brought not the offering of Yahweh in his appointed season. That man shall bear his sin. And if a stranger shall sojourn among you and will keep the Passover unto Yahweh, according to the ordinance of the Passover and according to the manner thereof, so shall he do. You shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and for him that was born in the land. And I'm just curious, this word stranger here, is that, uh, let's see, that's Gear. Okay. Yeah. Verse 14? Yeah. Yeah, that's Gear. It's Gear. Okay. Yeah. Not, not, not Zur, which is uh, the aliens that are to be put to death if they try to engage yeah. in, in our you know rituals. Yeah, they're not supposed to be. Come around yeah. at all. Yeah, at all. Yeah, that's supposed to be among us. <clears throat> Verse 15. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after the children of Israel journeyed, and in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. At the commandment of Yahweh, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment of, the, of Yahweh they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of Yahweh and journeyed not. And so it was. When the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of Yahweh, they abode in their tents. And according to the commandment of Yahweh, they journeyed. And so it was when the cloud abode from even unto the morning that the cloud was taken up in the morning. Then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. Or whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle remaining thereon. The children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. At the commandment of Yahweh, they rested in the tents. And at the commandment of Yahweh, they journeyed. They kept the charge of Yahweh at the commandment of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. End of oh, chapter okay. 9. So this is like an army pitching their tents and waiting for the general to command them to, uh, you know, uh, pack up and, and, and move on, right? So, uh, very mm -hmm. structured, very structured life for the Israelites here. 
Okay, uh, chapter 10, going to the silver trumpets. And Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly, and for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but one trumpet, then the princes, which are the heads of the thousands in Israel, of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. When you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east parts shall go forward. When you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall, shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but you shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets. And you shall be remembered before Yahweh your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Also, in the day of your gladness, and in the, your solemn days, and in the beginnings of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am Yahweh, your God. And it came to pass on the twelfth, twentieth day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. And they first took their journey according to the commandment of Yahweh by the hand of Moses. In the first place went the standard of the camp of the children of Judah according to their armies. And over his host was Nashon, the son of Amminadab. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nethaniel, the son of Zuar. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Helon. And the tabernacle was taken down. And the sons of Gershon and the sons of Merari set forward, bearing the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. And the standard of the camp of Reuben set forward according to their armies. And over his host was Elizer, the son of Shadur. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shalumiel, the son of Zerushaddai. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Gad was Eliasaph, the son of Duel. And the Kohathites set forward, bearing the sanctuary, and the other did set up the tabernacle against they came. And the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim set forward according to their armies. And over his host was Elishama, the son of Amahud. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Pedasar. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Abadan, the son of Gideoni. And the standard of the camp of the children of Dan set forward, which was the re-reward of all the camp camps throughout I, their hosts. I think it means rearward. Is this a misspelling? Re-reward. R-E-R-E-W-A-R-D. <laughs> yeah, R -E -R -E, that's a very unusual. Re-reward? Primitive re root to gather. To gather for any purpose. Hence to receive, take away, remove, destroy. No, it doesn't mean uh, – that's a very unusual word. It's a uh, osof, osof in Hebrew, okay? Never heard that word before, 
Okay, back to you. All right. Uh, let's see. And over his host was Ahizer, the son of Amishadai. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pagiel, the son of Okran. And over the host of the tribe of the children of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. Thus were the journeys of the children of Israel according to their armies when they set forward. And Moses said unto Hobad, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, We are journeying unto the place of which Yahweh said, I will give it you. Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. For Yahweh has spoken good concerning Israel. And he said unto him, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land and to my kindred. And he said, Leave us not, I pray thee, for as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. And okay. if it, and yeah, it shall be. Yeah, sorry to interrupt here, uh, no because problem. there's there's a lot of confusion. Uh, people assume that Ruel, uh, here it's pronounced or spelled Raguel, but uh, it's usually spelled and pronounced Ruel, okay, which means friend of God. Ruel, the name of Moses' father-in-law, who was a Midianite, also of an Edomite and an Israelite, Raguel Ruel. So they're not the same person, okay? The name applies to a certain Edomite and applies to a certain Midianite, namely Moses' father-in-law. They are not the same person. All right, there's a lot of confusion about that. And, and typically the Judeos say, oh, well, Moses' father-in-law was an Edomite. No, he wasn't. He was a Midianite. Okay, back to you. By the way, you're doing very well with these names, uh, these Hebrew <laughs> names. Uh, I'm not going to dispute your pronunciation of any of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're right. Whatever it is, you're right. Okay, back to you. All right. All right. Verse, verse 31, and he said, leave us not, I pray thee. For as much as thou knowest how we are to encamp in the wilderness, and thou mayest be to us instead of eyes. And it shall be, if thou go with us, it shall be that what goodness Yahweh shall do unto us, the same will we do unto thee. And they departed from the mount of Yahweh three days journey. And the ark of the covenant of of Yahweh went before them in the three days journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of Yahweh was upon them by day. When they went out of the camp and it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, rise up, Yahweh, and let thine enemies be scattered and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, return, O Yahweh, unto the many thousands of Israel. All right. Chapter 10. Okay. (laughs) Now, the wilderness of Paran. It's uh, it's come out uh, recently in the last few years that the true location of Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia. Uh, many Bible scholars have falsely placed it to the northwest of uh, Judea, okay, and or in the vicinity of Judea, uh, close by. No, they, they they were traveling south, and and south by southeast along the border of Saudi, what is today Saudi Arabia, and indeed. Uh, the, where is the wilderness of Paran is the question I put it in the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, search engine. Yeah, search engine, Microsoft Bing in this case. The wilderness of Paran entirely transjordan, east of the Arabah Valley. 
The wilderness of Paran is adjacent to the land of Midian, 1 Kings 11.18. The land of Midian is located at the modern Al-Bad in North Saudi Arabia. Okay? The wilderness of Paran is usually misplaced in the modern Sinai Desert northwest of Elat. Okay? So they were traveling south by southeast. Okay? And uh, that's that's where all of the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the footprints of the Israelites going all the way down to the tip of uh, Arabia and back up the coast on the far east side and back back uh, west toward Sinai, okay? So uh, the all of these events took place in what is today called Saudi Arabia, and that's where the pillars uh, set up by, oh, I forget which king of Israel. I think it was actually uh, by, um, oh, uh, the name's uh, Solomon, if I'm not mistaken, uh, pillars from the uh, crossing point across the Sea of Reeds from uh, from Egypt to uh, Arabia. Okay, so this is all south, uh, very much south of uh, modern uh, Judea. Okay, so uh, the the uh, the historians uh, have gotten this all wrong, and but it's come out recently that all of these places that that's where the rock, the split rock, where the water gushed forth was found. The, the burnt uh, top of uh, the, the mountain there, which, of course, Yahweh <laughs> rested there, <laughs> and uh, the burning heat of his presence scalded the top of that mountain. It's all there. It's all historical stuff. And the tracing of the Israelites, the path they took from Egypt to uh, the plain there and, and to the crossing point uh, across uh, as a, a, a triangular-shaped beach that the Israelites stopped at while they were being pursued by the Egyptian army, okay? And that's where Yahweh uh, blew the wind that caused the water to abate, and the, uh, and the Israelites crossed uh, over to the other side, and then he, he stopped blowing the wind, and the, uh, the army of the Egyptians was drowned, okay? And their uh, chariot wheels, uh, which were made partially of gold, are still to be found there. Okay, so all the evidence points to the wilderness of Paran being the the true uh, area where all of these events took place. Okay, but nevertheless, more and more proof uh, that all of this stuff really happened. It is historical. There's abundant Mm -hmm. evidence that it is historical. And all of the, the naysayers about the Bible, you know, need to open their eyes and realize that all this happened was real david was real jesus is real moses is real uh, but the, the reason why most of these people are confused is because they believe the jews are israel and not us mm-hmm. okay this causes all kinds of confusion and they don't want to believe the bible because they think it's a jewish book well uh, good for them it's not a jewish book it's our book and that's the reality okay brother good job <laughs> Yeah, the Bible is a history of our people, of the Amen. Caucasian people. From yes, and that's how we got our name Caucasian. We crossed over the Caucasus Mountains, became known as Caucasians. Yeah, and the Jews didn't. <laughs> the Jews <Right>. didn't. <laughs> okay, okay. Thank you, brother. Good show today. Thank you. Uh, it's tedious reading, but it's important history. Okay, absolutely. All right. Thank, thank you. Take, take, okay, Dan. Take care. Yahweh bless. Bye. All right, folks, no music today. We have to get that figured out. Take care. Yahweh bless everybody. Bye-bye.